This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. An announcement came from the Environmental Protection Agency recently that they were going to do away with President Obama's signature plan to limit greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. EPA Chief Scott Pruitt said that the former administration has departed from regulatory norms when putting together the clean power plan. The idea was to help move states away from coal as a main source of electricity and go into other avenues. But it appears that this may be setting up an even larger fight on the matter. To take a look at what we may see in the near future, we're joined here in studio by Eric Ortz, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. He's also Director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. And joining us on the phone is Daniel Kemen, who is a Distinguished Professor of Energy at the University of California, Berkeley. He's also Founding Director of Renewable and Appropriate Energy Laboratory and Co-Director of the Berkeley Institute on the Environment. Eric, as always, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you, too. Dan, great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, Dan, I'll start with you. I, I, uh, your reaction to, to this announcement the other day. Well, it's just really sad. I mean, it's not surprising. But given that we know the transition to clean energy is not only something we need to do environmentally, but actually will save not only ratepayers' money, but will also save us in terms of environmental costs, which we're seeing all around us with hurricanes and storms and here in my home area fires, but it will also save us tremendously on immediate health costs. And so it's a very sad economic choice, let alone the negative signal it sends in terms of environmental protection. Eric? Well, I fully agree with that. It's sad and even tragic. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that the estimates for uh, various health benefits uh, under the Clean Power Plan include 3,600 premature deaths that are prevented, 1,700 heart attacks, 90,000 asthma attacks, 300,000 missed work and school days. So that all adds up to what a very careful uh, cost-benefit analysis indicated were long-term benefits of this plan of about $54 billion long-term. The uh, Trump administration claims that there are $33 billion in costs that are going to be avoided here. And the original, uh, there are costs, and the original, uh, the original estimate uh, had been at 8.4 billion. So there's no doubt that there are costs in the transition, but it is quite, you know, the scale. We shouldn't keep our eye. We shouldn't forget the scale. Of what is what this is? It's not just a kind of anticipated. Okay, climate change isn't happening. This the uh, the effects of this are not just about climate change, but about avoided air pollution costs that are going to hurt people and are actually going to kill people. So the stakes are actually quite high. It was expected, uh, so it's nothing really new. Uh, the, the administration has declared war on almost all environmental regulations. We have the most reactionary uh, EPA secretary uh, in history. And, and it's, um, so it's all expected, but the scale and the, uh, and the severity of this is, is something we should are, are, are factors we should keep in mind. Well, Dan, the, Eric mentions that that cost number, which uh, has, is making the rounds in the media right now. And I mentioned Eric before we came on here. There's one thing to look short term, but you also have to look long term as well. Well, that's right, and I think that um, I mean Eric really did a great job of summing up the numbers. Um, the estimates done by a whole range of independent groups really put this cost to Bennett ratio. Um, at 5 to 10 to 1, and that's even looking short-term. And obviously we've seen with Irma and Harvey and the fires we're seeing here, 
environmental costs um, in 2012 were about $100 billion a year in the United States. Now it's well more than double that. It might be um, three or four or five times more than that. And so even if you leave the climate story out, which, of course, you shouldn't, that's the point to do this, this was a good economic deal. And that's before we get to the international side. So I've been attending the climate conferences for the past decade and a half. And in this vacuum that uh, Trump and Pruitt seem to want to put U.S. businesses into, we've seen places like China decide instead to invest $360 billion in clean energy. We've seen countries that were not particularly thought of as environmental leaders. Bangladesh now has the world's largest and most effective battery recycling program for home systems. Kenya has become a clean energy leader. These are countries that have decided that the energy story, the environmental story is important, but so is the economic leadership story. And that's probably one of the things that galls me the most about this retrograde thinking out of the White House, that this is just simply ceding economic opportunity to others for technologies that the U.S. has been the prime investor for the past decade. So I can't find an angle on which this is not only illogical um, environmentally, but where there's any argument, because the Clean Power Plan really did not only do this cost-benefit analysis well, it put um, incentives on the table so that each state could pick its own most cost-effective path with efficiency, renewables, and natural gas. In fact, many red states found that they were already well on the way because of the natural transitions they'd seen going on already. And to top all of that off, we are now seeing today with the disasters just the incredible cost of not being a leader. And so it's, it's, it's truly sad, as Dan said, but it's also a feature that works against every basic economic principle of the United States. Eric? Yeah, well, I just want to I want to pick up on that because I think there isn't any you know it's not like a lot of political issues or even economic uh, issues where there are two sides of the debate and I think we get caught into a false uh, equivalency in a lot of these discussions. There's not any argument on this if you look at the experts in the scientific community uh, and the and, and in the economic uh, in, in economic community and in what's happening here. And quite to the contrary of this promise that it's going to make America great again, this is this reversal on uh, energy policy and on climate policy is going to have exactly the reverse effect. Well, we and, right. and for the reasons that Dan was just indicating, you have uh, you are undercutting the uh, bur- the the boom that we've seen in solar and in wind technologies and renewable energy technologies, and the only possible explanation for this is that there's an us versus them kind of mentality. There's a total denial of the science because it's in the interest of fossil fuel industries and in particular the coal industry, which also all economic analyses and and, and projections about business are showing is a, is a loser, right? The coal yeah. is going down and the promises that we're gonna bring coal back in the United States somehow, et cetera, it, economic forces are, are driving that out. So. Um, Dan is absolutely correct to say, look, you're just basically handing the world, handing the area of this this entire industry over to the Chinese who are not stopping to wait until we get something straightened out. They're right. gonna, they're moving forward on solar, wind, other renewables, as are other uh, as other places. I mean, the only bright side, I think, is to recognize this as for what it is, 
to resist the administration's uh, craziness on this issue, however you can. And the, I think the bright side is, on, uh, and Dan can maybe comment more because he's in, in California, but there are many states that are already going to comply with the Clean Power right. Plan. And right. there are many more that have said, well, we're going to do this anyway. And there are many right. businesses who are saying, we believe the science. We see our own future. We're yep. an institution that has to uh, has to take a stand in these kinds of issues, and we want to preserve our competitiveness. So that's the that's the potential benefit of this is that you see the real face of what this is, which is a, a pure play for uh, power by those who are wanting to try to keep. Uh, burning coal and oil as long as possible yeah. and make as much money as possible on that. They're allied with Trump and, they're, and they don't care about the science. They don't care about the economic analysis. But I think when people see that, there are other avenues in a free society that you can move to uh, and business can move forward, states can move forward, local cities, are mo uh, city <clears throat> governments moving forward. So I think those are the, that's the place that you look for progress now. Well, two things, Dan, for you, and, and one that was going to be my next question to you is that seemingly we can still see this push by businesses to do this on their own, by states to do this uh, realistically on their own, and, and get your reaction to that. But also the fact that that this move by the EPA, or more specifically by Scott Pruitt, this has been something that he has been trying to do for a couple of decades now, going back to you know the state level in Oklahoma. Well, that's right. I mean, I think the first thing to say, and I'll be just blunt about it, is that that is Mr. Pruitt is simply not suitable nor qualified to be the head of the EPA. This is an agency designed to find innovative ways to regulate and to uh, and to set incentives. That the Clean Power Plan does that. It gives diversity of options to states to meet a goal, but. The fact that Mr. Pruitt has been on the business end of suits against that, I think, really speaks to um, exactly what you just heard, that this is a very shallow play by a few people to hold on to money. But I think in the, the bigger picture, there's, there's, there's so many other elements of the story. One is, and it was alluded to, um, that places like California, New York State, Washington State have simply said, we're going we're gonna to stay in. In fact, we've discovered red states and blue states that are ahead of schedule to meet this target here in California where we have more than half of the country's solar panels, where our clean energy law is essentially as aggressive or more aggressive as all those in Europe. We're right. seeing more job growth. There's now more jobs in the solar sector in California than there were traditional utility jobs. We have a cap-and-trade climate fund that is generating up to $6 billion a year, which is being put into a diversity of areas. We've signed um, clean energy economic deals with other states, with parts of Mexico, with China, all under a large subnational agreement called the Under Two Memorandum of Understanding, which uh, Governor Brown started, and California and the state of Baden-Württemberg and Germany are the co-chairs. All of those are the good signs in terms of we can and should do this. In fact, the prices of solar and wind and geothermal have, have plummeted dramatically, so they are economically competitive. But the states and the companies that could have stepped forward or might have stepped forward if the clean power plan or simply not a regressive action um, was, on the, was on the books, those places may think twice and they will slow down and they will be losing economic opportunity to the countries in Europe, um, China, uh, and others that are stepping forward. And so it's really bad economic policy and 
lack of sensible action at the federal level mm -hmm. really slows down this inevitable transition, making our companies the loser. And the other piece, and we've seen it in the disasters, is that the poor and minority communities are the first affected, least repaired after disasters. This is work that goes right. back decades, starting with Robert Bullard, who really kicked this off with an amazing set of books, beginning with Dumping and Dixie, to look at the environmental injustice of not being proactive on energy and water issues. And essentially, one can say that pulling back on the clean power plan is an attack on poor and minority communities above all others. And mm -hmm. for all of the negative things that Mr. Trump has said about women, minorities, and others, this unfortunately exactly fits that pattern as well, just beyond the economics and beyond the environmental story. We're, uh, you're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about the move by the EPA to uh, pull back the clean power plan. We're joined here in studio by Eric Ortz of the Wharton School, Daniel Kamen of the University of California at Berkeley. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess... Eric, I mean, it does kind of highlight the fact that seemingly the move announced by the president a few weeks back, a couple of months ago, uh, of pulling out of the Paris Accord and his conversation about whether or not he would get back in or bring the U.S. back into it if it was the right deal. Seemingly a move like this pretty much, I think, solidifies the fact that the United States is not going to go back. Well, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think okay. I think you have to take a long-term perspective. I think you're right. Probably Trump will not go back. But right. who, who knows how long Trump will survive? I mean, there's already, and we've talked about this on the radio before, there's a clear legal case for impeachment. And all you need is basically the political shift uh, to take place in the next election cycle for that to start to move forward. And I think in Paris and, and climate change in general, you have to take a long-term perspective. Right. I mean, yes, this is a setback, and it would be better to have – other things, but sometimes it's helpful. Uh, sometimes to look, you know, be a little bit more optimistic, as we like to do here at Penn, and cite uh, our colleague um, Martin Seligman's work on <laughs> optimism's functional even in, when you're in the face of really uh, bad situation. Uh, I think the positive side here is that it will. This what we're seeing here can educate the public because you, at the end of the day, you really can't make uh, progress on issues like environmental issue, environmental damage, climate change, et cetera. Unless you have the political will to do that, and mm -hmm. right now, uh, uh, right now, environmental voters are not putting you know it's not it's not a high priority for a lot of people. So right. you need to translate these things into jobs, and uh, and and in this case, there's there are going to be clear job effects, uh, and there and it's not coal mines are going to be coming booming back. It's that wow. you're going to be cutting down uh, the potential job right. growth. Uh, which is going to take place in, in it, to some extent anyway, be, in spite of this. But you're not helping the solar and wind and renewable technologies of the future. And all the jobs that that's involving, you're putting your bets on a declining industry that's going to be um, be failing anyway. So I think that opportunity here is that it's an educational opportunity because you see what's happening. Yeah. If the U.S. pulls out of Paris and and stays out of it, by the way, you can't just the U.S. can't just unilaterally pull out of Paris. It right. takes a while. Yeah. So in fact, we're not pulled out. Uh, you have it legally. You're bound. You're bound until you follow the correct 
uh, procedures within the agreement. Yep. And um, long term, I anticipate that the that the American public will start to have a change of view. You are already seeing that that people are getting it right. You have yeah. all these hurricanes hitting at record levels. You have wild wildfires in California, which you're going to cover later, in the West, uh, in various places in the West. This is directly, these these are events that are related to climate change, and it is hitting us now. It's not just a theoretical future now. And I think that most Americans are going to start to see that and, and understand that this is a real issue. We have to get ahead of it. We have to be serious about it. We have to do, we listen to our scientists yeah. and make plans for the future and make a transition in our economy. It's not easy, but... You know, you do this and uh, we, we do this before. It's not the first crisis that human civilization has ever faced. Right. And to take a long-term perspective, I think that's the that's the key here. So we learn a lesson on many levels from what has happened in the tragedy of Trump yeah. on environment and that you will not have that. You'll, you'll have a, sh- a shift back that will be even more serious and will have more political support. Uh, going forward after Trump. Dan, do you agree with the with the assessment of, of Eric here about the, the future of the coal industry? Because seemingly that's been a, a topic that has been brought up a, a lot here in the last uh, several months about just the feasibility of what this industry is, has been, and what it may or may not be in the next five to ten years. Well, even beyond the incredibly promising economics of solar, wind, geothermal, the current amazing low prices of natural gas. I think that the biggest irony in the whole story is that of coal. The coal industry, for economic reasons, having largely to do with the boom in fracking and natural gas, mm-hmm. has decreased in value by a factor of 10 over the past several decades, so that it's worth an estimated 50 to $60 billion, meaning a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates could simply buy the whole thing more than once himself. And what that speaks to as an economics is just simply working against this, uh, this sector that needs to make a transition. And ironically, the Clean Power Plan included an $8 billion retraining, re-education, and transition fund for the coal industry, an incredibly good deal that was going to focus money on those states that are most hard hit. And there is absolutely no indication that Mr. Trump and his administration would put any significant money into this sort of retraining. And so, ironically, the Obama Clean Power Plan that's calling for this 30 percent cut in greenhouse gas emissions over the next decade, generating jobs, generating new industries, would actually also have a fund that there is nothing in the Pruitt-Trump language that would even come up. And so essentially the best deal that the coal industry would get, and it was a really good package, is not coming under any Republican repeal. So it's a really sad, short-sighted feature for those people who have been in the industry, are suffering the health effects and absolutely need to transition to become leaders in these new energy areas. So is it your expectation then, uh, and obviously we're already starting to hear that uh, organizations and states are going to uh, to fight this move by the EPA, is it your expectation that we may very well see this, uh, this move uh, taken all the way up to the Supreme Court? Well, I certainly hope we do, and of course that brings up issues like the, the, the new nominees for the Supreme Court who are anticipated in the future, but... I really think that this is an issue that, if you look at it on any economic terms, if this wasn't about climate, which has become a unfortunately polarizing issue, on the job creation benefit, the work in my laboratory here at Berkeley, where one can find it on the Twitter feed at at Dan underscore Kamen, 
the work from uh, from economically liberal and conservative groups across the country have all found that the job creation benefits of investing in energy efficiency, in natural gas, in solar, wind, um, sustainable biofuels, and geothermal outperform the fossil, uh, the, the coal industry, by up to a factor of five to one, meaning new jobs and dollars generated per dollar put in. Mm-hmm. And that's really why the numbers that we both began with in highlighting the ways in which the Clean Power Plan was an economic benefit. Um, and that's before you get to the climate benefits and the health benefits. This is a story where the administration is just simply wrong on the basic economics, let alone sustainability and environmental justice. Yeah, um, I should comment on the legal issues here. So um, there's really an irony here because the uh, the Clean Power Plan had been challenged by Pruitt and others and was actually uh, going through the courts and is now all the way going up to the Supreme Court. And the argument there had been that the EPA had extended had had, had uh, regulated too far. In other words, that they had statutory authorization under the Clean Air Act mm-hmm. to regulate power plants. But by stepping out and doing more things than that, saying kind of uh, suggesting uh, policy about uh, solar, wind, et cetera, they were outside of the scope of what their authority was. And so the defense was, well, there's a doctrine called Chevron in the, in the law. And that says basically, you know, we're going to defer, the courts are going to defer to the agencies with respect to their legal interpretation of what their authority is. Right. We're not always going to allow that because then agencies could just say they have authority to do anything. But if there's a reasonable interpretation, then we're going to allow that. And so that was the Obama administration EPA's argument, that this was within the scope of what we need to do. The other thing that we need to keep in mind here is that the Supreme Court has clearly stated, and I don't believe that even with the change in the personnel, it's going to go backward on this, that there is an endangerment finding that's been upheld. In other words, uh, greenhouse gases are posing a danger, and under the Clean Air Act, they there, the EPA therefore has to regulate yeah. in some yeah. fashion. And one thing that you have here is that this withdrawal of the Clean Power Plan, which is part of lots of things that the Trump, is, Trump administration is rolling back on mileage requirements and automobiles and trucks and all the other, you know, it's uh, trying to cut back on methane uh, regulation, all of the things that are part of the package that the Obama administration was putting forward to try to deal with climate change, they're trying to reverse. But the problem is that there's clearly a duty that EPA has to regulate this dangerous phenomenon, which is greenhouse gas emissions sure. and other and other problems that are contributing to the uh, issue. So you're going to have a lot of litigation forcing uh, the EPA to regulate in some fashion. And it, you know, but it's again at the end of the day, it's going to be a political. The the irony though is on the reversal here. If you try to sue now, what EPA is essentially saying now is, under the Trump administration, EPA's interpretation of the authority of the Clean Air, Clean Air Act. We don't have authority to do the Clean Power Plan. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So now the discretion that the court has is they're going to say, give us discretion as the EPA to say we don't have the authority. Right. And it's difficult to see that that case is going to win. So that's you don't get to come into court and say, well, you don't have a cost-benefit analysis for that, although it would be a creative argument. You have, And it is a little bit uh, – I think there is there may be an opportunity here where – you have one EPA that has done a lot of study and said we need to have this plan. Then you have a change of election, and then suddenly there's a complete reversal. And that's going to be a – there might be some way in which you say, look, that's just totally under the legal standard, arbitrary and capricious that you would make that shift. Right. But the standard is not the cost-benefit analysis question of what the regulation will actually do, 
but rather the uh, legal question of what authority you should defer to the EPA with. Now, the, the, next, the next point will be that the EPA has to do something. If it doesn't, it'll get sued and be forced to do something. I think it could, you know, my own view, and, and I haven't really researched this extensively, is that there might be a challenge to say, look, you have to regulate, and if you don't come up with something different, then there's something that's already on the books that says you're regulating a dangerous pollution sure. pollutant. Yeah. And if you don't come up with some alternative, it's arbitrary and capricious for you to just say we're not going to do it or, or we just um, or decide that the science is wrong somehow and, right. and don't have any evidence for that or that the economic analysis was wrong and you come up with a really bad piece of, uh, of evidence for that. It might be possible that you can get a court to look at that and to challenge that. But the... Um, but it is a difficult lift with respect to the deference question under under Chevron. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. In studio with Eric Ortz of the Wharton School, Daniel Kamen, uh, joining us on the phone from the University of California at Berkeley. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can get us uh, join us uh, via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Not that it's exactly the same, Daniel, but I did want to bring up that obviously there have been uh, a variety of stories uh, about you recently in the work you had been doing with the State Department and your decision to leave there. Take us into that decision and how kind of the administration in general has kind of played into that decision. Well, I was appointed as the science envoy by Secretary of State Kerry to work with African and Middle East governments on energy and climate. And of course, when Mr. Trump said he was going to pull out the Paris Climate Accord, that um, was exactly opposite of my mandate. And then his actions not to condemn racism at the Charlottesville events um, uh, further pushed me along to write a letter explaining my resignation. But um, as you just heard as well from Chris, I, I included an acrostic, uh, a word written with the first word of each paragraph, um, saying impeach, because I believe quite firmly that the number one job of the president of the United States is to work in the, for the benefit of the country over their own personal benefit. And while I am not a legal scholar, I see clear evidence, um, including this action, but many others, that, that in my view puts the president's actions on an impeachable trajectory. And I really do think that this short view of the Clean Power Plan as generating benefits for the poor and this long view of not only the climate, but the economic upside of being a leader in an area where the U.S. has been the inventor of many of these technologies over the decades, but now in this administration trying to turn away from these engines of economic growth, that's really... Um, Simply offensive to Americans, uh, red state, blue state, rich, poor. It is an un, you know, it is an anti-innovation, anti-U.S. Uh, position that I'm mm -hmm. seeing out of this administration. And that's really the thing that saddens me the most in what we're seeing. Other countries are clearly stepping up and taking advantage of this intellectual policy and technological vacuum that Mr. Trump seems to want to put himself and and his cronies into. And so it's really sad to see this sort of action right at a time when the U.S., after all, the U.S. and China crafted um, the success story that was Paris by stepping in the lead, and the clean power plan was the domestic piece of that leading action. And the work that you had been doing, uh, as you mentioned, in other parts of the world, uh, we're seeing what kind of partnerships come out of that type of work? 
Well, it's been really it's been really dramatic. Um, in Morocco, in Kenya, in Jordan, in Uganda. Um, prior work I'd done with the State Department in a different role in Argentina, Chile, Nicaragua, Mexico. We're seeing countries that had been seen as as really not um, energy leaders transitioning really quickly, generating jobs. The exact same story you've heard Chris and I talking about um, throughout as they moved into leadership positions here, and then discovering that the environmental benefits uh, in terms of health, in terms of better river management, in terms of being able to deal with some of the kinds of natural disasters we've seen were so large that these efforts were paying for themselves time and time again. And this had actually become something called the social cost of carbon. And it was an assessment that the U.S. EPA did to look at what are the health and the other costs of not um, meeting these standards by transitioning our economies. And that cost was many times what we're talking about paying here. And so yet again, we see such a clear economic benefit of being, um, I won't even say a leader, being progressive in this area that this administration is stepping away from. Great having you both with us today. Uh, Thank you, Dan, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Great to see you again. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks. Eric Ortz from the Wharton School, Daniel Kamen from the University of California at Berkeley. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.